0: he found it was the most obvious, most blatant, and yet at the same point most invisible sin among the Christians. When Andrew Murray began surveying reformed pastors in 19th century South Africa, he found that they spent hours every week preparing their sermons. They were reading theology, they were teaching the Bible, they were living outwardly respectable lives in the eyes of their parishioners. But the secret sin that Murray only discovered by asking was prayerlessness because not even the pastors had much of a lived relationship in conversation with God. They had missed the heart of prayer. What about you? How are we doing? Your relationship with God where you want it to be Jesus In the passage we're going to read He's not going to command us to pray more That's not his point Instead what he's going to do is He's going to give us a new paradigm That invites us into a deeper lived relationship With him and with His and our heavenly father Uh, Jesus teaches us here About the heart of prayer We're going to look at, at Luke chapter 11 The first 13 verses This is the gospel of God One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and he says, friend, let me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he actually will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who receives he who seeks everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened which of you fathers if your son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What do we see here? What's Jesus trying to tell us? Jesus is saying here that I want you to have a relationship with my Father. And in a relationship, you have conversations. He said to them, when you pray, it wasn't a question of if you pray. They would purchased." As disciples into a relationship with the Father and that relationship was the point of it all in a relationship you have conversations Uh, it's the whole point of it all that that, that's the purpose for which Jesus died to save you not so that you can someday go to heaven though that is definitely part of the deal Uh, the purpose is that you can have a restored relationship with God uh, that, that A restored relationship is is something that begins in this life already speaking to him and and hearing from him in his word and by his spirit and being in communion with him and doing it on purpose because you love him, because you have come to love him, because he has loved you first. That love is finally sunk in, and so you can cry out, Our Father, literally, Abba, Daddy. Hear my prayer. You know, God is aware of it when you are praying to Him. And He wants that daily, hour by hour, give and take throughout the day. He wants to hear you speaking to Him. Uh, he wants the relationship. Uh, you say, Greg, God seems really distant to me. I don't know if I can pray. Well, that. Seems like actually a really good anxiety to get you started talking to God. Uh, What does it actually look like? Well, it could look something like this. Uh, God, I know it says in the Bible that you're my father. But the reality is that you seem really, really distant to me. And I'm not even sure at times whether you're real. I don't even know if I'm sure I'm a Christian, but I want to be. And so I don't know what to do with this, Father. But I, I pray that you'll actually do something in me because I need you. Now, don't write that down and do that as a formal thing. What that is doing is channeling a real issue and processing it with God. Jesus is saying, I want you to have a relationship with my father. And in a relationship, you have conversations. You have conversations and you remember the other person's priorities. You know, a relationship that's all about you isn't really a relationship. And so he tells us to pray, Father, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Literally, Father, may your name be treated as something holy, and may your kingdom come in all its saving power. You're making these a priority because it's what's on God's heart. It's his priority that you have this relationship, and so you want his name, you want his person to be treated with respect, to be hallowed. You, you know, you, when you're in a relationship, you want your partner to be respected. You want their name to be treated as something holy. And you, you want their priorities to become priorities for you too. In a relationship, you talk to each other and you, you make their priorities your priorities. And, and you don't hide in a relationship. You don't hide behind a mask. You don't pretend. You don't fake it. Uh, if you've done something to hurt your partner, you, you tell them. That's called confession. And, and, and you get forgiveness and you work on restoration and moving forward. Jesus says... When you pray, pray, forgive us our sins, because that's what you do in a relationship. And and he specifies, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, because you've been washed. If you've been washed of all your sins, sins, massive sins against a holy God, an infinite, righteous, just God. You know, whatever somebody's done to you, whatever somebody's done to me, can be very painful, but is small compared to a crime against God himself and as those of us who are continually committing the greatest sin by breaking the greatest commandment by loving God with less than all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength moment by moment 24-7, we're kind of in a position where we're not in a position to judge anybody but ourselves. But we can go to God and, and, and be honest about our brokenness and our sins and not the, oh, Father, I didn't mean to do it. You did it. You meant to do it. Yeah, I'm not that kind of person. Yes, you are. You, you, I am too. That's, that's why we have to forgive our sins. That's why we have to go to God in a relationship and say, I'm sorry. And for the follower of Jesus, you know, we know we're going to fall. We know we're going to blow it at some point. We know that at some point we're going to face a temptation and we're going to fall flat on our faces and regret it. And so he says to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation Literally, the, the request is, Lord, do not lead us to the place of testing where your faith will be tested to see in a crucible of pain and suffering your difficulty and temptation to see whether or not you'll stand up. Jesus is saying, it's okay. In fact, I want you to pray to my father and say, Lord, don't take me to that spot. Don't test me. I might fail. It's a conversation. Depending upon him. Because in a relationship, you have a conversation. In a relationship, you prioritize your partner's concerns. In a relationship, you don't hide or lie about your sin. And in a relationship, you lean on the other for help in walking with God. That's what a relationship looks like. You talk. You value their concerns. You don't hide. You lean on them for support. Jesus is saying, I want you to have that kind of relationship with my Father in heaven, and he's promising you that it is possible. It has been purchased for you. It is already there. You just have to lean into it. I want you to have a relationship with my Father, and, that, and that's going to mean depending on him for everything through prayer. Uh, notice how the parable Jesus says right after he gives us this prayer. He tells a parable about prayer. Uh, And and I want you to notice how the prayer specifically is channeled by anxiety. Notice the situation. You know, it's the story is this guy, he's, it's the middle of the night and, and, you know, college buddies suddenly show up or somebody and it's the middle of the night and he has no food and you think, oh, that's all right. Order Domino's. There is no Domino's. In fact, there are no grocery stores. You have to make food and he has nothing with which to make food. And, and so he, he, he and, and, and besides you can't go out safely at night because you'll, you'll get robbed or hurt or worse. Uh, you know, there's no lighting. Uh, so he's kind of stuck because the ancient laws of hospitality are that he must provide food for his guests. To have any integrity as a, as a man or a woman in the ancient Near East, if you had guests, you had to feed them. And they were hungry, and it was midnight. In other words, he was in an impossible bind for which there was no solution at hand. He would have been filled with anxiety by definition. That's why he's going out in a panic to his next-door neighbor, banging on the door, waking up the whole family. These were one-room houses typically. Uh, waking him up, and he's, he's saying, I, I, I'm in a bind. I can't fix this. It's impossible, and, and I need some food. And Jesus says he's not going to do it because he's his friend. But he's going to do it because the boldness with which he was asking. Because he was channeling his anxiety toward intercession. And that's how prayer works. It, it stems from, from our lack of control. Uh, you know, anxiety is almost always God calling us to reconnect with him because we don't have control. Our control's an illusion. We spend our lives trying to create control, but then a storm goes through and we lose everything, or 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 you know some situation happens and suddenly everything's done, everything's different. Uh, you know, we don't have that much control. And when we're praying, instead of you know, if we let anxiety and fear take over, uh, turning ourselves inward on our own resources, then what it looks like is just how to control, anxiety, fear, uh, frustration, anger, uh, uh, you know, just, it, it, it devours you. Uh, like, one guy says it's like, you know, severed power lines flying about, blasting everything they touch, you know, because anxiety wants to be in control, and we're not in control. It does not have the resources, but it is a call to, to speak to the one who does have the resources, who is in control, uh, because without God anxiety gets gets out of control and so anxiety is God calling us to prayer into relationship scripture makes this connection in multiple places you know Philippians uh, 4 was the first passage uh, I remember as a young Christian uh, memorizing uh, you know do not be anxious about anything but In prayer with petition, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you're freaking out, if you're anxious, if you're worried, that is your opportunity to have a lived relationship with your heavenly Father because those anxieties processed outward to God is what the Bible calls prayer. Verse Peter 5 all your anxieties on him because he cares for you depending upon him for everything through prayer by channeling our our anxiety into prayer often you know anxiety highlights our weakness it highlights our dependence on God prayer highlights our weakness which is exactly where God wants us to be you can't really pray from a position of strength you pray from a position of weakness how we learn to grow it's how we learn to lean into a relationship with god i I worry that culturally our relative affluence compared to any culture prior to this century can make us blind to our weaknesses uh, because it can make us think that we have more control than we do and it masks our anxieties so that we don't pray it's like bart simpson saying, God, we paid for all this food ourselves, so thanks for nothing. And yet, when there's no food to be purchased, uh, no amount of money can buy food that doesn't exist. I mean, I would hope that COVID taught us one thing, which is how incredibly fragile the foundations of civilization are and how very quickly and easily supply chains can get all messed up and the logistics crashes. And in a globalized society, that means people go hungry in parts of the world. Um, if I think I can handle my own life, I don't need God, so I won't turn to him. Uh, But I'm not in control. I can't make things happen, and I'm keenly aware that I do not have the resources to face what may lie ahead of me. I'm bringing my weakness to my Father who loves me, and I'm trusting him to answer, and, and that's That's when you can also get a whole bunch of other people praying as well. Uh, But but what do I lose if I submit my life and my future to God in prayer as an open book? Just, Lord, whatever you want to write for my future, I know you've already planned it, but whatever you think is best for me, I will do it. I need you to show me. What What do you lose if you do that? If you offer yourself up for true Relationship dependent upon God In your weakness Relying on his strength to do things That are outside of your ability to accomplish Without God What you lose Is your control You lose your independence You lose your sense that you're the Master of your own destiny But what do we gain We gain a relationship with With our father A relationship with one who lives in a high and holy place, who, who 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 moment by moment sustains a billion stars in a million galaxies a billion light years away and yet is also with him who is of a humble and contrite heart. We gain love. We move from being an independent player to a dependent lover and it highlights my weakness, which is exactly where Jesus wants me to be. You see, Power in prayer comes from being in touch with your weakness. That's why Jesus teaches us how to pray by telling us stories of of weak people who knew they couldn't do life on their own. Stories like a man at midnight pounding the door, asking for food because he has no ability to procure it with his own resources. It's his anxiety showing him his weakness and channeling it to God in prayer. It means everything is an opportunity to process life with your Father. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. You say, Greg, I don't want prayer to be all about me and my needs. You know, Well, that sounds spiritual, but Jesus is telling you that prayer includes you and all of your needs. You don't like set your anxieties aside to go worship the Lord. No, no, no you won't worship him. You'll get bored. You, know, you need to bring all of it to him and process it with him, uh, giving us each day our daily bread. Uh, it means everyday needs, things you worry about—the kids, the parents, the car, the the, the 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 classroom, the workspace, the relationships, the the the—and also God's priorities, His kingdom, and His name. This isn't when Jesus gives us this version of the Lord's Prayer. This isn't just a formal prayer to recite. It is that, but it's more than that. Uh, So much more. Jesus is inviting us to process everything with the Father as a child. He's inviting us into the child role as the as God becomes the Father. Uh, To pound on the door and be thoroughly rude and improper, if that's where you are, you know that's that's okay. That's the model that Jesus is giving us—a prayer of pounding on the door in the middle of the night, demanding something that you don't have a right to. Otherwise, it's totally how children communicate. They can be relied upon to say inappropriate things. They don't have a sense of proper protocol. They can be very blunt. If they don't like something, they're going to say so, not realizing it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Children don't yet have the filter that we adults have learned to construct. And Jesus is saying, I want you to approach your father in heaven as if he's your dad because he is your dad, and as if you're the little kid because that's what we are, his beloved kids. And that means learning to strip away that filter that you learned by being an adult Christian in a religious community. To pray like a child to your father is to speak like a a little child to a parent, and that means getting rid of your protocol, getting rid of the formality of it. It means stripping away your filter, and it means verbally processing things with God, your father. It means when you're angry with God, or if you're mad about your experience, you tell God that you're angry with him, or you tell him that you're you're not happy with your experience. You say, Greg, that's rude and improper and totally disrespectful and read the Psalms. They model it, they model it. God's not afraid of our anger. Don't come up with some religious face, some mask, religious sounding jargon. You won't get far, you'll get bored, your mind will wander and you'll give up because that's not gospel prayer. Prayer, Jesus says, is approaching your father as if you're a little kid, as if you're his baby boy or his baby girl, as if, you know, as if you're his child because you are. You don't have to collect all your thoughts together and process them uh, mentally and internally and then produce some eloquent thing in order to speak to God in prayer. There's a time and place to use somebody else's prayers. That's why we got the Psalms. That's why you got the Book of Common Prayer. That's why you got Valley of Vision. Lots of good options out there. But but the heart of prayer is this processing with God. You just, okay, so you're a student at Washington University, and you just failed your biochemistry exam. That doesn't happen all the time. What does that look like? Well, you're going to feel anxiety about that. You're going to be freaking out, worried about whether you're going to get, fail the course, whether that's going to you know, destroy your major, whether you're not going to get into grad school now, whether everybody's going to know that you failed it. And so you've got all these things. God, I didn't want to fail this. God, other people are going to be thinking I'm an idiot. God, what's this going to do for my career, for my future, for grad school, for for the class? Lord, I'm, I'm freaking out. And I don't know what to do with it, but you do, Lord. You're in charge, and you're my father, and you promised to take care of me. And So I'm going to trust you. Show me what I can do. It's prayer. Um, that's way more powerful prayer. That shakes the heavens in ways that merely going through a formal prayer mindlessly won't necessarily do. It's praying to God as if He really is your Father, and as if you really are, and as if you really are loved by Him, cared for by Him. He sees you, and He knows when you are praying. It means you're the child. We don't expect children to bring formal, eloquent, prepared requests in triplicate. We just want them to cry out to us when they're hurting. And if you would turn to God every time you feel bad or surprised or sad or worried and process that verbally out loud with God, you would grow in such a, a, a depth of relationship and dependence upon God. And you would long to pray. It would become your second language that it might become your first that's what Jesus means when he says to, to pray, saying, Father. That's what Paul means when he says that the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Psalms talk about crying out to God because that's what children do. Children cry out when they're in pain. Children cry out when they're sad. Children cry out when they're hungry. Children ask for everything they want. They say what they mean. They mean what they say. They're not trying to figure out what you want to hear in order to please you, at least not until they've learned to do that. And they ask constantly. They have no sensitivity toward whether or not it's an appropriate thing to ask for doesn't cross their mind. They ask because they think they need it. And so you have to learn to become like children again before we can truly learn to pray to our father as his kids. Learn to be that five-year-old crying out to daddy when your toy train breaks down. Unlearn the adult filtering. Unlearn all of the structure. Stop being grown-ups and let yourself be the child and learn to cry into the arms of your father in heaven. And you'll find that as you start talking to God and processing, and it's interesting, St. Augustine, uh, at the end of the fourth century, he he came across a group of Christians who prayed silently, and it completely freaked him out. It was the weirdest thing he had ever seen in his life, because everybody prayed out loud. Um, And and I've taken up that myself, you know, if you're ever at my place, you're going to hear me talk to God. all day long, <laughs> uh, sometimes very eloquently and sometimes very frustrated. Um, but, uh, you know, if you start talking to God that way, then it's true, in five minutes, you will find that you're talking about a completely different subject, and that's okay, because that's how conversations actually work. They, they bounce around, you're talking about this, then you're talking about that, and there are lulls and times when you're not talking, and, and it's the way conversation works when there are actually two people in a conversation. Um, Approaching God as your father means talking to him the way a child would talk in a normal conversation. And that means it's okay to be disorganized and inconsistent. It means it's okay to be brief. Jesus said, do, do not think that God hears you because of your lengthy prayers. He, he zeroes in on the legalism of prayer as it was practiced by the Pharisees. Um, God just wants you processing life with him. Paul Miller talks about praying like a child. He says, private, personal prayer is one of the last great bastions of legalism. That's why it's so hard for some of you to do it. In order to pray like a child, you might need to unlearn the non-personal, non-real praying that you've been taught. Why is it so important to come to God just as you are? If you don't, then you're artificial and unreal, just like the Pharisees. Rarely did they tell Jesus directly what they were thinking. Jesus accused them of being hypocrites, of being masked actors with two faces. They weren't real, nor did they like little children. The Pharisees were indignant when little children poured into the temple after Jesus cleansed it and began worshiping him. Jesus replied, quoting Psalm eight, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. The only way to come to God is by taking off any spiritual mask. The real you has to meet the real God because he's a person. He writes, so instead of being frozen by your self-preoccupation, talk with God about your worries. Tell him where you're weary. If you don't begin with where you are, then where you are will sneak in the back door. Your mind will wander to where you truly are weary. When you stop trying to be an adult, when you stop trying to get prayer right, prayer will flow because God has done something remarkable. He's given you a voice in his presence Jesus is saying I want you to have a relationship with my father and, and this is depending on God for everything through prayer and so how, how can we do that what is it that fuels that it's simply this because he is your dad that's Jesus' whole point when you pray say father Not everyone's born a child of God. We become adopted as children of God. Everybody's made in the image of God. Everybody's a creature of God. But the Bible says that we become adopted as children of God and have that right to be called children of God when we believe on the Lord Jesus and are saved into the family of God. You know, religion says, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. It's the difference of having a father who has taken all your debts and liabilities when he adopted you and paid for them, sending Jesus to the cross so that you will never have to pay those debts or liabilities because your father has taken care of them. Many of you who are parents gained new insight into God when you became parents, when you had your first child. A little child comes crying to you with a skinned knee and a bloody knee and you don't lecture them about what a little cut it is. You don't tell them to shut up. You don't tell them it's just a flesh wound. You you don't just say smack a band-aid on it. No, you, you don't rebuke them and tell them to grow up. No, not unless you're an abusive parent. You see your little child in pain. You're afraid. They're confused. You see them running up to you as the one who loves them and will help them and can be trusted, your strength being what they're looking to in their weakness, and you tell them you love them, and and, and you you let them know that you're going to help them, and you reassure them, and you calm them, and you love them, and you care for them. Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, is going to give us a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, you're going to give him a poisonous, venomous scorpion? You know, that could hurt a child. It could put life at risk. Uh, I remember years ago reading an account of, uh, it was Raghad and Rana Hussein. They were the two adult daughters of the uh, murderous dictator of Iraq, Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein gassed his own people with poison gas. He invaded Iran killing millions. He uh, brutalized his own people with a police state. He was a terrifying man and his sons were terrifying men and yet Raghad and Rana describe him as the most wonderful dad to them. They they say he spent hours playing with them and helping them with their schoolwork. Ragad says he was a very good father, loving. He had such a big heart. And, 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 and Rana, the younger one, said he had so many feelings, and he was very tender with all of us. Usually a daughter is close to her mother in Arab culture, but we would usually go to him because he was our daddy. He was our friend. These were the only people in the entire Republic of Iraq who could walk into Saddam Hussein's bedchamber at 1.30 in the morning, tap him on the, 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 the shoulder and say, Daddy, I need a glass of water. Anybody else doing that would have been executed, but he was their dad. And Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you honestly think God the Father is that much worse than Saddam Hussein that he would not love his very own children? Your Father in heaven is your dad. He delights in you. And besides, he promises. Jesus says, I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek, you find. Knock, the door is opened. Everyone who asks receives. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, the door will be opened because you have a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And Jesus wants us to err on the side of asking too much. Because he knows that in our legalism we'll tend to get timid or fearful or, 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 or we'll just give up because we figure that God doesn't really care about us. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to go crazy. I want you to ask and, 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 and in particular ask for the Holy Spirit to flow through you, asking for the things God wants for you as well as what you need because he's your father and he loves you got a slide here. Can I get that first slide? Um, Meg Kaplan in October of 2014 uh, went pumpkin picking at a pumpkin patch with her little girl because dad was away fighting in Afghanistan. He had been gone for 10 months and he wasn't due for a while and so they were planning to be alone for the holidays so they went to the pumpkin patch and they picked out the most beautiful, big, perfect pumpkin. And yet what she didn't realize, next slide, is that there was somebody sneaking up behind her. And she has no idea. Let's get the next slide. When she sees him, she's in shock. She, she yells, daddy, and then it hits her. And she's overcome by 10 months of emotion. She, and, and at this point, mom and dad are not sure. I mean, look at that face. They are not sure this was a good idea. But he had actually gotten an early uh, uh, break and was able to come home. And uh, next slide, uh, he asks, why are you crying? And, and she's stumbling to speak. And she says, I missed my daddy. She didn't realize how much she missed her father. The joy erupts as she realizes he's staying. And let's get that next slide. Uh, When you picture God as your father, the Bible nowhere tells you to picture an old man with a beard on a throne with thunderbolts. That's Zeus. He tells you, (laughs) rather what Jesus is telling you is that's what I want you to picture. You're the little girl. And God is your father, and he delights in you. God is not absent. He's not distant. He's not aloof. He's your daddy. And that's the heart of prayer, a lived relationship with dad. Let's pray.